Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just nine. $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome, welcome into episode number 133 of the Brutally Honest Sports Podcast. Back with my main man, Joey House, but uh, we also have a, a guest on the, on the pod that I'm excited to talk to especially this time of year. So uh, first things first, how are you doing, Joey? I can't complain. It wouldn't do any good. <laughs> no, no, it would not. And uh, yeah, we have Jarrett from the Basic Blues podcast. How how does it go, my friend? It's going well. How about you guys? Can't, can't complain. Last time we had you on, uh, JD was – was in the was in the picture of the podcast. He just has a lot of personal things right now. So, uh, my my friend Joey has, has filled in quite nicely. And uh, yeah, we we're both massive Penn State fans, and and definitely helps having having Jared come along for the ride here tonight, as he's a uh, you know big contributor to the Basic Blues podcast. So for any any big Penn State fans, definitely check that out. But yeah, I mean we're we're ten days away. What uh, what are your thoughts first? initially on this on this West Virginia matchup and and yeah just just tell us everything you in your uh what's going on with you yeah so I think uh it's a great matchup to start the year for a lot of reasons uh from a fan perspective it's great because it's not you know your typical you know Mac team or something like that that let's be honest no one really wants to see you're just excited that it's there because it means football's back so I think from that perspective, it's great. Uh, I'll be going to the game. I, I'm pumped to be to be there. You know, opening up with a night game. I think it's the first time since 2001. So it, it just and the first uh, game on NBC, the new network too. So just a great matchup all around. And I think, um, in all honesty, West Virginia is in a, a bad spot. The there's not as much talent on that roster as there used to be, um, even with. You know, Penn State breaking in a new quarterback, which they will, even though technically we don't know who that is yet. Um, I know uh, Coach Franklin just said about an hour ago, he still is not named a starter. So we continue to wait on that. But I, I think it's a, a good matchup for Penn State, uh, you know, because you'll get a little extra juice out of the crowd. It's the, the helmet stripe game, which is a, a unique twist, too. And you get to potentially have a, a – you know, statement win in air quotes over uh, a power five program. Uh, so I think it's a, a great matchup. I, I personally can't wait for it. Um, and I think it, it's one that suits this team very well to start the year. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. What, I mean, the, this Joey's my, my main guy when it comes to spreads and sports betting and, and things like that. I've seen this, the number be around, it's around the 20 point mark. Uh, the spread in this game, you know, don't quote me on that. Joe, Joey probably knows it like the back of his hand. But um, what what do you think? Do you do you see this game being, you know, in the second half a close game? Obviously, you, you touched on um, the quote unquote like quarterback competition and things. Um, I think everybody, I don't know, you might feel differently, but uh, everybody probably thinks it's Alar. You know what I mean? It's it's they kind of been that. They know right exactly. Exactly. So. Um, do you see this game, like, let's say, you know, obviously Allard does play it, and do you see this game in the third and fourth quarter being, like, a 10-point game, or do you see it being a blowout and maybe West Virginia tries to, you know, close the gap towards the end of the game? Or, like, how do you see this game ideally playing out in Penn State, uh, you know, with this with this matchup of, like you said, a team that in West Virginia that, like, you know, do you talk about West Virginia 10 years ago? This might be a lot more interesting, but 
they're no slouch. I'll, I'll put it that way as well. Yeah, I think that um, as much as I like the matchup, people are probably uh, overselling just how easy it will be, at least at least to start the game. I do anticipate uh, – I think it will be a close game probably until halftime, and then I, I think Penn State pulls away. And I think that the 20-point mark is probably around a good one. That's three touchdowns. So uh, I think the first half will be close, and then Penn State just has too much depth. Uh, I think that's one of the biggest things they have going for them this year that, you, you know, they're just going to tire West Virginia out and be able to, to run up the score once you get in the third or fourth quarter. But I do expect – you know, kind of some rust in the first, maybe second quarter. We see it every year, just teams across the country in general, not just Penn State, especially things on special teams. Uh, and especially when you're, you're breaking in a new quarterback. I remember um, when Sean Clifford made his debut against Idaho of all teams back in 2019. I think Penn State, I, I remember, I don't remember the timing as far as the game, but I know that their first two drives stalled out uh and ended in field goals. So, you know, if that's against Idaho, West Virginia is a much, much tougher test than uh, any FBS school. So you, you just break in a new quarterback, even if they do have a little bit of experience. You know, I, in, I really do believe Aller's going to be the starter. I, I haven't seen anything that suggests any wise. You know, I think this is really just a, a ploy to keep all the guys here, you know, with the transfer portal. Uh, just to hold on to them as long as he possibly can, or from Franklin's perspective, mm -hmm. as long as they possibly can. Uh, but I think, you know, they'll go with Allard. I think he will probably encounter some some struggles early on in the game. You know, it's first real live game action as a starter. But I think Penn State will have no problem pulling away, um, maybe even as early as the second quarter, um, if not the second half. And then uh, I think the... The, the line of 20s probably in the a, a pretty good guess in the neighborhood of where I think this will end up. A couple of things about that. Uh, first off, nice memory about the uh, Idaho game, um, but they figured it out pretty quick. They ended up winning 79 to 7. They did, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> at halftime, it was 44 to nothing. So, right. um, but the, uh, what's interesting is that um, the majority of the gamblers, 75% um, of the money has gone on West Virginia, plus the points. Um, it is right now right around the 20 and, 20 and a half points. Um, and so a lot of people are thinking that if it, now I guarantee that if it goes less, to, if it goes down to 19, the money will probably start coming back in on Penn State. But um, I think you're going to probably see, probably see it right around the 20, 20 and a half point, maybe 21. But three touchdowns is, is a, a seven points is a magic number in uh, football betting. So any variation of seven points um, is uh, pretty, pretty high. Point. But I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, with regards to Alar being not named, I mean, in what world, the only way that Allard doesn't play on Saturday, I mean, or doesn't start on Saturday is if he gets hurt or, or like some massive scandal comes out. This is just like, this is just, to me, this is just um, media or, or Franklin trying to keep it interesting. And like you said, and media trying to drum up because everybody's sick of talking about transfer portals and spring practice was months ago and all this stuff. So they're just, they're running out of shit to talk about. And I think that that's because, I mean, just imagine the the backlash of Prebula actually did beat him out. Like, what? <laughs> that, that, it, it kind of pisses me off. It's just like, name the I mean, everybody in the world knows it. Now, my question to you, though, Jared, is um, does Prebula see any meaningful action before the game's decided? Before the game's decided, I, I would be very surprised. I think that would be something where, um, you know, there would have to be something catastrophic like an injury to, to Drew, which, you know, knock on wood, hopefully doesn't happen. Um, I, I think he'll play a similar role to what uh, Drew Allard did this past year, 
where, with the exception of the Purdue game, when uh, he <laughs> had to come in and play some meaningful snaps when, when Sean Clifford disappeared to the room for, for a drive, he really was only in the garbage time situation. And so I, I see him that, unless, you know, things go really, really bad for for Aller at some point this season, I think it's, it's hard to imagine him. Now, I, I can't remember that Purdue game. Was that because Clifford got a little banged up or or because um, Aaron and I had talked about this uh, from the season before when Clifford went down in Iowa and uh, the, the kid Roberson came in and just, I mean, looked completely out of his element. We've talked about it. Does, does Will Franklin try to get his backup into like a drive or two with the first string when it's still meaningful? Because I, I don't really think that you, I mean, you, you learn and you get game experience, but until you are running in a situation where the shit's still on the line, I just don't think it's, it's uh, comparable. So um, do you remember if, uh, if uh, Clifford had gotten banged up a little bit in that Purdue game? So there were there were actually a lot of rumors swirling around with that. No one really still to this day knows what happened. You know, there were a lot of rumors he just had to go to the bathroom because he only missed uh, a single. Um, but you know, when that happened, my first thought back back to the Purdue game, my first thought was, oh my god, this is Iowa all over again. But I think that when Drew came into that game, he looked significantly more prepared than than Roberson ever did. Absolutely. And, you know, that was that was a tough environment, too. I mean, that was a huge game for Purdue at night. It was a Thursday night. So it was it was not easy to step in there. And he looked incredibly composed. So I think that was probably a point of emphasis for Franklin and the staff uh, last offseason after they realized I mean, it, it cost them a top 10 win. Mm-hmm. They were up, I think, 17 to three when when Clifford got hurt and it just all unraveled from there. So I think. That was probably a point of emphasis for them over the last offseason. And I think you saw it a little bit where Drew may have gotten into games a little bit earlier than what you would have seen uh, Franklin do in the past. I mean, I know even looking back to the 2017-2018 season when you had uh, McSorley, I mean, Trace was playing those games, you know, three, three and a half quarters, regardless of the score. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think I, – and it's it's interesting, like, the – just the – how Alar is so highly regarded, and, like, he should be. I'm not saying he shouldn't be, but, like, him being a five-star recruit um, at quarterback, like, he looks like the, the real deal. You know, even in the games, like we were kind of talking about, he played in garbage time last year. I mean, the Rutgers game stands out to me in particular that he just looked extremely sharp. Um, is it a thing where – because I know James Franklin was always, like – you know, Sean's going to play like Sean could have a, a broken shoulder and he'll be out there um, ultimately causing uh, a shoot. Now I'm drawing, drawing a blank. The kid that, that transferred to pit. Um, to, oh, uh, Christian uh, Veyu. Yeah. yeah Veyer. Yeah. Christian Veyer or Veyu or whatever. But uh, <laughs> we don't pronounce names right here. <laughs> yeah, we really don't. We really, that, that is not something we're That's great a hard at. One to get, so. <laughs> I really like, you know, obviously he played against Rutgers. What that was a 2020 season. Now we're we're talking about 2021, maybe. I think um, that game was uh, 2021. Yeah, 2020, and he looked like uh, amazing. But you know, granted, it's Rutgers. It was at Happy Valley. But the thing is, like, does because it was always the seniority thing with with Sean Clifford. It was always he's going to play. He's earned the spot. He's been loyal to the program. And, like you, you always heard James Franklin utter the same thing. So where. This is a little bit more interesting, obviously, is how young Alar is, how young Pabula is. Is it a thing where, okay, um, Alar's going to play three quarters and then like like how you guys touched on, will we see uh, Bo come in and play more meaningful snaps in closer games or will it just be Drew goes, gives us the best chance to win? Because they're, they're two totally different quarterbacks. Like, you know, uh, Joey, Joey made the comparison – that Bo is more like Trace McSorley where he can kind of run options. He can, you know, he might be a ball carrier far more often than like Alar is your standard sit in the pocket, deliver the ball. Like it's going to be interesting. I hope Bo gets playing time. I'm a little bit like in, in my mind, 
compartmentalizing. Like, I don't know if he will. You know what I mean? Like that type of thing. I, I think it's it's hard to say. I mean, the not having the seniority thing, I think overall is a good thing. I think that was uh, something that, you know, I discredit Franklin a bit for because there were games where Clifford clearly, he couldn't have been the best chance for us to win that game. I mean, if you look at the Ohio State game last year, yeah, he threw for 400, over 400 yards or something ridiculous, but he threw four terrible interceptions um, that a six-year quarterback should not have been making. So I think removing the seniority thing from the picture and allowing Franklin to, you know, even that playing field and make a decision maybe based on who, you know, really has the most talent, who really, you know, gives the best chance to win. I think removing that from the picture is going to be a good thing for the program. With that said, though, I mean, I, I think from a recruiting standpoint, I think it's hard for a coaching staff to look at someone who was, you know, a top-ranked quarterback in their class and be like, yeah, we're going to give a three-star a shot. And don't get me wrong, I think uh, uh, Prabula is going to be I, – I, I love the comparison to Trace. I've always said he, he's like that. He wears number nine, too, so it's just perfect. And <laughs> he, he just has that same style. Um, but I think from a – I mean, just imagine the, the fan base reaction. Like, you have the – the best quarterback in your recruiting class and you're playing you're playing a three-star so i think that kind of becomes that new argument from franklin not necessarily oh well he's been here six years he's done so much for the program he's earned it he's well he was a top-ranked quarterback in his class so he's going to give us the best chance to win yes and and what i wanted to just double up on on, on that point is wouldn't it be like, and it doesn't matter. Like the coach, it doesn't matter if he's a four star, you know, or he's uh Joey's favorite quarterback of all time, Matt McGloin walking in, uh, like basically like I'm, I'm here and I'm going to earn a spot. Like I'm going to pave my way to, to be the quarterback of this team. Like, but I think it would be to that point is it would be hard to tell like drew like Allard's probably never been told no his entire life up to this. Like he's, he's shined at every level. He's, he's been obviously one of the best quarterbacks in high school football. So for him to like, like if he would struggle, let's say, and, and I know Joey wants to bring up a question on, you know, how, how we're going to do this year as, you know, throughout this, this, this schedule they have, but like, wouldn't it be like, I wouldn't necessarily blame, like, it's tough. Would I blame Alar for being like, okay, I get benched, I want to transfer? Like, would I blame him for feeling that way? No, but would it be a tough pill to swallow as, you know, Penn State doesn't get very many five-star recruits at quarterback? And, you know, they haven't had, like, the amazing quarterbacks. Like, obviously, you know, you point to Ohio State, you point to Alabama, you point to Michigan even at times. Like, it, it like – I definitely am on board with you where I think Clifford played in games, especially against, I think, lesser teams where they could have rested him and got him more healthy for the Ohio States, for the Michigans. And they're like, no, he's, he's a, you know, that seniority um, trumps all, basically. So, like, wouldn't it be a whole situation where it would be so much drama if they do indeed send Allard to the vet, even if he does, like, this is his first full season as a starter, so – like all the all the lights are on him, but it's like if he struggles, is it really like all right? We're gonna play, we're gonna rotate Bowen frequently. Is that gonna be like, is, is that gonna cause more problems than it is worth, you know, doing? Basically, is what I'm trying to get at. I think also from a, a recruiting standpoint, it's probably not a good look for for Franklin and the staff if you know, you're trying to recruit, you're, you're trying to develop somewhat of a quarterback pipeline, which they're starting to do. They have some, you know, some of the better quarterback recruits that, that Penn State has gotten since Christian Hackenberg. And if you're, they're going to come here, obviously he had to sit behind Clifford for a year, which I don't think was a bad decision. I think, you know, that's fairly standard across all of college football, at least as of now. I think that's something we're going to see change as more and more kids transfer you'll see more and more freshmen starting but so he sat behind Clifford for a year and then if he comes in and is you know benched you know as a very short leech and is benched for you know I don't want to say a no-namer but you know in the 
the national college football perspective, you know, was a no-name recruit. I just don't think that's a good look for Franklin and the recruiting staff to go out and say, well, you know, we're going to recruit you. You're a highly rated quarterback, but you're going to have a short leash and you might have to, you know, sit behind. So I think it's probably going to cause more um, than it's worth. And I think you want, you want to set up a situation where if Valor's the starter, he could go out there and learn from his mistakes. So you could come into 2024 with a experienced quarterback, not someone who's, you know, been pulled six times and, you know, split time with someone else. Now, no one has a lot of experience as opposed to one person who's very experienced um, with a, you know, a capable backup. And that's an excellent point that you brought up, Jared, is the fact that coaches have to coach with not just the game in mind, but also setting up the, the future. And I, I nothing that Franklin has ever done has led me to believe that Alar is going to have a short leash. Um, and I, it's just, but yeah, that's a really great point because if, if it's recruiting is, is like a, a big sales job. And if you've got these kids that don't know where they, they stand or they're constantly looking over the shoulder or whatever, it just is, like you said, a really, really bad look for the program. And so they're, they're going to be a hell of a lot less inclined to, to come and stick it out. Um, but what it, uh, Aaron had talked about was with the expectations being as high as they are this year, um, and, and I mean, everybody and their brother has us as the, the dark horse of the Big Ten, or the, at least the Big Ten East. Um, and with, there was a, a large section of the fan base last year that for, because there, there's, I, I look at, at Penn State's fan base and Aaron falls into this category of the, the anti-Franken guys and then the, the the pro Franklin guys and the anti Franklin guys tend to be tended to be anti Clifford. So you had, uh, because I, I mean, I, I wrote last year for uh, victory bell rings and you had guys that like uh, fans that were, were constantly bitching and moaning and saying that Franklin can't win the big game. Well, I look at his record against the highest state in Michigan. Never mind that he already beat Michigan three times. Um, and now, granted, our, our record against the high states is very abysmal. Um, so there, there were there was a, a large section of the community that looked at last year as just like, well, this is just another like an ordinary year. Eleven wins should never be ordinary. I don't care who you are, um, but particularly a situation where you're less than a decade removed from some of the toughest sanctions the game has ever seen. Um, so with that being said. Uh, with all the expectations uh, sky high there as they are this year, is 10 and 2 a failure? I think this year, and I think this is the first time I'm ever going to say this, I think the answer is yes. Because coming into last season, I mean, expectations were on the floor. It was the first time Penn State had started the season unranked since 2016. They were coming off an 11 and 11 record the last two seasons. They had not participated in a bowl game obviously in 2020 they finished with a losing record they had just a horrendous losing streak down the stretch in 2021 and the fan reaction to you know really blowing those expectations out of the water i mean going from unranked to a top 10 to finish and winning the rose bowl was kind of mad you know i don't think anybody in the world would have thought that penn state had a a shot at a, a playoff birth last year. Franklin probably didn't think that. Right, exactly. <laughs> and you can make the argument that they were, you know, one quarter away from playing for it against Ohio State at the end of October. Yeah. So I think that given that, and I think it was a large section of the fan base who felt that way. I mean, I know it was, it, it, last season kind of felt like a magical season. I'm not going to say it was anywhere close to what 2016 felt like. That, that was just kind of different in its own right. But it was, I mean, from that that Purdue win on opening night, you, you know, scoring a touchdown with 50 seconds left after, you know, looking like garbage the whole game. Uh, and then just kind of blowing through everyone, not named Michigan and Ohio State. 
going down to Auburn and, and spanking You're your right. mother. That, yeah, yeah. That was a great experience to go into an SEC stadium and win, you know, by – Decisively. <laughs> right, almost 30 points. So I think that in order for this season to be considered a success, I think Penn State has to go 11-1. and one. And I think that's kind of an outlandish thing to – you know, to expect, especially with a, uh, a rookie, your freshman rookie uh, quarterback. I, I think that, you know, I think it's a, a very difficult thing to expect 11 and 1 in any given year, but I think a lot of fans would be very disappointed if they didn't reach that mark. And I think the other thing that doesn't help is just all the hype, like you had mentioned, that Penn State's getting. There was a, a New York Post article a couple weeks back about how they had picked Drew Allen to win the Heisman Trophy. Uh, there, <laughs> there are people I see on on Twitter, you know, every day making their playoff predictions, and a lot of them have have Penn State in it. And you know, trust me, no one in the world would want to see that more than me. But I, I just think it's it would be a little bit. I think it's a lot to expect a playoff berth in any given season. But like you said, specifically with a first-year starter, and I mean, Allar's the pressure on Allar is already going to be great because he's the first quarterback after Clifford and all this stuff, and being the five-star because uh, our success with five-star recruits has not been very good to say the least. Although I wrote an article about that, and if you compare. Um, Morelli at Hackenberg to two of the best, uh, Collins and Todd Blackledge, their stats compare very well to the, to those two great Penn State quarterbacks. But because Collins was, I mean, the, I mean, the quarterback of one of the greatest offenses the game's ever seen, and Blackledge was the quarterback of the first national championship, they're forever in Penn State lore. But these five star quote-unquote busts, if you will, actually stacked up statistically pretty favorably. So but the, so the pressure is already high on Alar. I mean, I don't I, – I, I, personally, I think that 10-2 and two would be a success because I, I just think that Michigan is probably a little bit more complete and we play a high state in, in the horseshoe. So – I think we have like two or three wins there ever. And we just historically do not play well there. And that was with some like really great teams. Although I think this team has the potential to be really great. Um, I wrote an article recently. This is, this is probably one of the best Penn state defenses. I've, this is a Penn state defense that Joe Paul would be proud of. Like, and this, this backfield is, I, I think for a combination of backs, the best that Penn State's ever had. And so, but to put like, to say 10 and two would be a disappointment. And I think you're right. I think it has to be, it has to be 11 and one, but that just puts a lot of pressure on a, on a first year starter. And and that's, that's what I wanted to ask uh, Jarrett, like to follow up is if 11 and one is basically the, the floor like this is that's what it kind of has to happen to have you know a, a magical season like what are your like at the end of the day what are your expectations record wise and is it gonna be the the two losses that like do you expect them to lose those games do you expect them to pull one of those out do you maybe the michigan game being at happy valley being the one that they do uh you know win but is this in your mind, uh, is this like a, a nine and three or a, yeah, nine and three situation? Like, what, what what do you think ultimately is the is the destination for this team? So I think I mean if, if they went nine and three, they, there would be a lot of unrest. Uh, in the <laughs> to, to I, I agree. I agree. Um, there are a couple games that that do worry me on the schedule. Uh, the first one that really makes me a little bit nervous is Illinois. Actually, they 100%. did lose a lot of guys to the NFL this past season, but they still should have a, a good secondary. Uh, so Penn State's going to have to try and establish the, the run game in there. It's also kind of a weird kick time, 11 a.m. local out there in, in Illinois. So that one makes me a little bit nervous. Um, and then, I, I mean, I don't think you can 
ever in your right mind pick Penn State to go into Columbus and and win a football game. I just, you know, I think that's a just not something you could ever predict. And I, I'm going back and forth on the on the Michigan game. I think being at home is huge, but the way that uh, Michigan dominated Penn State last year, I mean, it looked like they were playing a, a different sport. Uh, they they kind of just leaned on us and, and did whatever they wanted, especially in the, this second half. So I go back and forth on that game. I think it's it's really hard to say 11-1, so I think this ends up probably being a 10-2 and season. But I think Penn State comes into that Michigan game pretty late November. I think it's November 11th. So, you know, really starting to get towards the end of the season. Um they come into that Michigan game playing for a, a playoff spot. Uh, even if they lose in in Columbus, I, I think there's a very, very good chance that Michigan comes into that game ranked number one in the country. Uh, just the way that their schedule sets up. I mean, they play literally no one the, uh, you know, the entire, until they get to us. And they, they're starting at number two. So I would be, unless Georgia, I mean, you know, it's hard to say that Georgia won't fall, but going uh, 12-0 and three years in a row would be tough for them. So if you think Georgia picks up a loss somewhere along the way, lets Michigan get into that number one spot. So I think Michigan, you know, could come into that game as the number one team in the country, uh, and, and Penn State will be playing for their their playoff lives. I, I don't think it's a situation this year where Penn State will have to make it to the Big Ten title game to get to a playoff spot. We saw it last year with Michigan and Ohio State both making it. Um, but so, I, you know, I don't think that's necessarily as much as, you know, I want to see a Big Ten title again. I think the goal here is playoff, and I don't think they need to go through the Big Ten title game necessarily to get there. So I think the whole season really hinges in that Michigan game because I, I really see Ohio State as a loss. You know, everyone's talking about how it's going to be a down year for them. Ohio State doesn't have the down years. So it's it's really hard to just picture Penn State going in there, especially with a first-year quarterback and picking up a win. Um, so I think the whole 10-2 debate, 11-1 debate, comes down to that Michigan game. And uh, Penn State's playoff lives, which I think everybody's goal this season is to see a playoff appearance. I think it all comes down to November 11th, and luckily that game's at home, and you know we'll see how, how Michigan looks this year, but there's no reason to expect that they you know look any different than they did last year, so right now I'm going to say 10-2, and two, but I really think that Michigan game is you know, probably 60-40 leaning towards Michigan, but if Penn State can, can pull that out, it should be a playoff season. Do you think that Penn State could make the playoffs without – because they didn't make the playoffs when they won the goddamn Big Ten. So <laughs> um, I I believe that there is a definite anti-Penn State bias. Um, I'm a little bit older. I'm, I'm, I'll be 50 next year. So I grew up with, uh, like, my dad in my ear ever since I could remember saying, oh, the country hates Penn State, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I've actually – seen some of that with my own eyes. I mean, 94, when they didn't split the national championship with Nebraska is, to me, the biggest travesty in, in college football history. So um, I don't, I, I agree with everything that you say in, in theory. I don't know if Penn State could, if Penn State could make it to the playoffs without getting to the Big Ten title. That's true. They're not, they're not a brand, you know, a brand, unfortunately, like Michigan and Ohio State, although I'm not sure why Michigan has had that brand because outside of the last two years, they really haven't competed for many national titles. <laughs> fair, so, fair. Not really where that comes from. But that is a good point that you bring up that Penn State is kind of, you know, second fiddle to those brands. And then if you add, you know, other teams to the mix like USC, that's a huge brand. I could see, you know, them getting, you know, pushed ahead of us. Obviously, Alabama, a lot of the SEC schools, Georgia, they'll, they'll obviously be in the mix. Um, so that is a good point. And I think it's really hard to base it on on precedent because you said, you know, that Penn State won the, the Big Ten title in 2016. They obviously should have made the playoffs. They didn't. And then you have last year a team that didn't even win 
their Big Ten title and went to the playoffs. So it's really hard, you know, to say where the precedent lies. Does the committee care? Does the committee not? I think it's really a coin flip as to what they're going to do. Not only that, that year, but that week where they're going to rank rank teams. It's almost kind of random in that sense. I mean, obviously, it would you know best benefit Penn State to go out there and win a Big Ten title. Um, but if they don't, I mean, I think history tells us that there's a chance just because Ohio State has gotten in, um, Alabama has gotten in without without winning a uh, a conference title. Ohio State did twice. Right, right. And, um, the, and the fact that, that Ohio State, I mean, 2016 is to me, I think, the second biggest travesty because how do you take a team that lost to us didn't make the, the Big Ten championship and still put them ahead of. Like, that just, to me, doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, it, it makes absolutely zero sense. There's just no explanation for it. And that's why it's really hard to say what the committee's going to do because, I mean, what they do makes no sense. All right. So, I mean, right right off the top, um, James, I mean, coming off a, a successful season, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, we should have won the national championship. We did have Sean Clifford, like as much as I do at times love Sean Clifford, he was limited in his skill set, you could say. And, you know, uh, it's it's one of those things is this massive like the, the contract comes out for James Franklin, the 10, the lengthy contract, which, you know, we've talked about. Was that a was that a ploy where, you know, you can bring recruits in because, you know, James Franklin's going to be here for the long haul. It's not something where it was kind of like every offseason. Is he going to go to USC? Is he going to go here? Is he going to go there? Like it was it was always that conversation. So do you think the contract was warranted? And do you think like in your eyes, what are the expectations that come alongside of uh, such a long contract? And I mean, you know, for lack of a better word, I mean, it was an expensive contract. So. So. My personal opinion of the contract was I didn't like it, but it was something they needed to do. Because the chatter every season of him leaving for another school, I mean, I've heard just about every school under the sun and James Frank the same sentence over the last, you know, six, seven years. It, it was getting ridiculous, and it was getting to a point where it probably was starting to affect recruiting. So it's something that they needed to do because, you know, from recruits' perspective, Franklin would never publicly deny these rumors because, you know, from his perspective, it didn't make sense. He could use it as leverage for a new deal, use it as leverage for facilities improvement, things like that. So he would never publicly deny it. So all these recruits would hear, oh, well, maybe maybe he's leaving. Maybe this is the year he finally leaves. So I think they finally needed to do something where they stopped it. At the same time, it was very, very expensive for a guy who had won a conference championship in five years at the time he signed that deal. So, you know, it's, it, I, I think of it as a necessary evil in that sense, because you know, my opinion of Franklin is we're probably not going to find a better recruiter than Franklin. I mean, since he's walked through the door and obviously he came into a, a pretty messy situation still, he's recruited really really well i mean his first couple classes were near the top 25 i think even his 2015 class his second year was in the top 25 so he's been recruiting top 25 classes pretty much since the the minute he's got here the problem with that is has he maximized what he's had and i think the answer to that has been a resounding no i mean you look at there's a lot of five-star recruits that have come in and really haven't worked out. I mean, look at Justin Shorter, who is <laughs> the next big receiver, really amounted to nothing, transferred to Florida. I mean, you had Ricky Slate, who ended up leaving to go to Old Dominion uh, to follow uh, Ricky Ronnie there. So uh, you can make an argument that, I mean, one of the only, you know, the only really successful five-star of the Franklin tenure that jumps out to me is, is Micah Parsons. And he lost what would have been his best year. And that's obviously not the fault of the coaching staff or or his fault that the, the season was, you know, initially canceled and he decided to, to sit it out. So I, I think it's really hard to say that Penn State has maximized, or James Franklin has maximized all the talent he's gotten. Now, the 
the counter argument to that is almost eventually you have to accidentally be good right <laughs> so like after you know doing this for so long and bringing in that much talent you have to accidentally be good so i kind of waffle back and forth with that personally like wow franklin really hasn't done enough with what he's had versus you have to you know you have to accidentally beat ohio state again at one of these times and i think the other thing too that uh this year is going to make a big difference is the depth that penn state has i think that's a big big piece that you know depth never gets a lot of hype so it's really not been discussed too much. But I think that is the difference between this team and any other Franklin team. Um, even the, you know, the 16 through 22 teams, uh, I mean, 22 is probably the most depth he's had. But this year is the deepest team he's had. And I think that that's the difference. If you look at, uh, let's go, if we go back to the 2017 team, for example, very, very talented football team, very good football team, probably, you know, the most hyped football team, Penn State football team till this 2023 team. They were one deep pretty much everywhere. If you go back to that terrible Ohio State game where they had a 15-point lead in the in the fourth quarter, which they ultimately blew, which will haunt me for the rest of my life, uh, <laughs> that, that game turned on, on its head when Ryan Bates got in. They were one deep across the board, and, and that that was, you know, that that wasn't necessarily Franklin's fault either. That was also a byproduct of, you know, the the scandal recovery and things like that. So, I think, from my perspective, Franklin now that he has the depth of, you know, an elite college football program, he's recruited like an elite college football program for a while. Now I think is the time he has to prove that he lives up uh, to that deal, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to make excuses for him in the, you know, 2016 and beyond era that oh it was sanctioned, blah blah blah. But I think now is the first time where you could say he has a team that's deep enough to compete. I think that's what Penn State's always been missing. That's why you were always right there with Ohio State, but can never, you know, close the deal. You know, typically the losses to uh, Michigan have been blowouts, but conversely, when we've won, they've also been blowouts. That's kind of a weird series in that sense where you blow them out or you get blown out. But I think from the you know Ohio State perspective, I think in all honesty, you know Franklin has beaten Michigan plenty of times. I think people want to see him beat Ohio State now. Absolutely. And I, I think the difference now is the depth, and that's all these so i think going back to the overall question that was kind of a long way to answer the question <laughs> oh, i love it i love it <laughs> uh, i think that now that franklin has the roster to compete he has really everything necessary to be on par with an elite college football program and now he has to prove he could live up to that very expensive deal that he signed so that that's where I'm at. I think it's a very different perspective from a lot of the fan base. I think Penn State could win the national championship this season, and there's plenty of people who would probably still want him fired. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I would not be one of those people. I'll put you that way. I, I I agree with everything you just said, uh, Jared. Um, I think, and this is like a little bit of a taboo subject, but I think that. The, uh, a large portion of the Penn State fan base is incredibly conservative, and I think that a little racism seeps into that. Uh, they'll never admit it, obviously, but because, it, uh, again, you, you, they could they could win the national championship here this year, and people would still bitch like, oh, well, it was because they beat so it was a weak schedule or, or whatever. Like, there's just never satisfying some of these some of this fan base. Um, and to touch on your point about depth, that was completely the reason that that because they just got worn out. Uh, if you look at that game against Iowa, I mean, talk about one deep. I mean, one deep against with the quarterback, obviously. But then when Mustafer went down as well, they just didn't have anybody to plug in. And that was completely the byproduct or, or the result of the sanctions. And so. That's why, like, 
when, um, when people like really start criticizing Franklin, he, I mean, one, he, he doesn't call his own plays. So that's a good and bad thing. I mean, he's not responsible, but overall, ultimately he is responsible for everything that the program does. It doesn't matter whether he's doing it or not. The fact that he's allowing somebody to do it, then, then whatever. But also, I mean, yeah, the, the depth is just something that, that he had to, that finally, like you said, I think has finally been able to overcome it. I think like the last two, like since COVID, depth has been less of an issue. I think it, it's definitely gotten better uh, at, at most positions. I mean, obviously two years ago, like you said, at Iowa, I mean, you, you lose your quarterback and you're, you're, you're kind of screwed for the rest of the game. But with that said, there's probably not too many programs that can, you know, withstand losing their QB1 on the road against the top five team and, and win. So I don't know how much of that was a depth issue versus just really bad luck. But I think it's it's definitely something that I think Franklin and the staff knew had to get better, and they just needed a lot of time to, to fix it. I mean, Penn State was way, way, way ahead of schedule in 2016, and I think that shifted, you know, everybody's expectations. But the depth still really wasn't there until I really believe this year, but you, you can make an argument the last couple of years. I think last year you noticed, like, the offensive line kind of come into a zone where previous year, I mean, it was just they could not – they could not run the ball. Like, it was just impossible. You couldn't get um, – you just couldn't get any run production whatsoever out of that uh, that offensive line, and that put like when I always said when when the game was all on Clifford's shoulders, we're in trouble. Like it, he's not going to be the guy. He's he's not. I don't know. He's 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 more a game manager than he is the guy that you want throwing the ball 35, 45 times a game. And I, and I do like Sean Clifford and I love what he's like the loyalty to the program. Like he's been a, a true ambassador for the university. I could say, but um, yeah, that was one of the things, but this is kind of just a, a, a little random, but obviously Sean Clifford sets a ton of Penn state passing records and, and what have you really a lot of, a lot of records across the board from a, a quarterback perspective. Does if Drew Allar plays through, like his junior year, let's say, does he does he like break these records? Do you think, or do you think Sean Clifford, because of longevity, in my opinion, because of longevity, holds those those records for quite some time, or at least through Alar? I I think that Clifford's records are probably safe for forever, or at least a very very long time. I think <laughs> that he got the very unique circumstance of being at Penn State for six years like he he actually started there a semester before I did and I graduated two years before him so (laughs) (laughs) like he's been there just forever so I think you know and hopefully the circumstances that that caused that to happen where we you know lose a season of football never happen again but I I don't think that his records are really touchable you know that there will be someone who you know, through a touchdown pass in the year 2018 and through a touchdown pass in the year 2023 for the same school. I just, I don't think something like that will ever happen again. So I think that especially, you know, if Allard decides to go to the NFL after his junior year, you know, he's there for three years. Clifford was there for six, you know, he had half the time. So I really think as good as, as good as Aller is, I mean, maybe they'll have a you know shot at records that are percentage based or, or something, but not you know total stats like yards, touchdowns, things like that. Right, and that, what you were talking about the uh, the rec- I mean, looking at Sean's records, he's throwing for ten thousand. He threw for ten thousand six hundred and sixty-one yards, um, and he did that in, in four years as a starter. So it's it would be very tough. Other schools could possibly do it. I mean, because I mean, it's not uncommon to see quarterbacks throw for thirty-five hundred to four thousand yards, but I mean, not at Penn State. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I just wanted to kind of poke some fun there. Um, but the completion percentage is definitely obtainably <laughs> right, and which is that was always my big because I am a bit of a Clifford defender. And that was always my big 
argument is it's like, okay, yeah, he, he a lot of these cumulative stats are, are because he's been there for a decade. But when you lead, when you're the program's all-time leader in completion percentage, that doesn't get better with more games. It gets worse. So the fact that he, I mean, that he led there, I, I, I agree with, with Aaron. I mean, Sean isn't, he's not a Dan Marino. He's, he's more of a Trent Dilfer. But, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, Dilfer does have a ring. So. <laughs> Fair, fair point. I want to, I want to hit on some quick questions with you, Jarrett, just because, uh, mm-hmm. as as Penn State fans, it's a little unique. Like, do you, and I and I, I'm on record, like with all my friends, Joey. It doesn't matter. I truly believe that Penn State has the best uniforms in college football, and it's not close. I love the simplicity, <laughs> simplicity of it. Uh, no names on the back of the. I know why they did it, obviously under the Bill Bryan uh, era and and everything that happened for the for those for those individuals, but. Like, don't you, do you agree or do you, like, you can, you can, no one's going to crucify you here if you say, oh, you know, uh, Boise State does or whatever. But for, to me, the blue and white or when they're on the road, obviously wearing the white and the blue, like, I just, I love it. I hope it never changes. And, and I, I think they have, and it's biased, but I think they have the best uniforms in college football. I mean, I'm certainly biased, but I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think I actually like the road whites better than than the home. I just I do too. Home. Yeah, I'm with you. Oh, not me. So <laughs> I'm, all, I'm all about blue. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I, I also have this thing where I just can't say anything bad about Penn State. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, have have you ever bet against Penn State? I refuse to do it. I, I'm yeah. too emotionally invested in the game. <laughs> I always I off my slate for the week. You know, there's there's enough riding on it already. Right. Uh, so th- there's plenty of other games to, to bet on each week. I, I refuse to do it. So Very good. Who's your favorite Penn State player? Uh, of all time or current? Uh, all time. All time. Uh, I always say uh, Saquon Barkley. I, uh, he was – his junior year was my freshman year. So he was like the first – like Penn State athlete I got to see in person and that was an incredible season he had in 2017 the fact he wasn't you know invited to New York for the Heisman ceremony was was an absolute snub but uh just watching him I think still to this day out of you know any sporting event that I've been to professional or collegiate Saquon Barkley's the best athlete that I've seen with my own eyes and you know the fact that he was there in my first year, and that was like my first introduction to Penn State football was that team and him. I always got to say Saquon Barkley. What about you, Aaron? Um, that is, that is tough. Like, there's there's some names that come to mind. Um, I'll uh, man, I'll just I'll go. Even though he's a Cowboy now, and like that, that has nothing to do with with the Eagles and or with the NFL that we're not, we're not going into that subject, but I will say Micah Parsons, just the the way he would take over games and, and just like, he's just a freak of nature. Um, I'm usually by bi- really biased towards quarterbacks. And I really had a soft spot for McSorley when he was there. Uh, but I mean, he had a lot of games where I was just like, man, like, like I was actually watching the Ohio state Penn state game. I think, I don't even remember what year. Obviously, they came back and won. Penn State came back and won in in Happy Valley, and I was watching the entire game the other night. And he was like, for lack of a better word, he was awful in that game. And like they found a way to win. So I can't say like I really really liked McSorley, but from like a just enjoyed, uh, just being like just it was so enjoyable to watch. I should say in Micah Parsons because he was just he never took a down off it seemed. I mean, he took a year off, but he he never took a. Uh, <laughs> He never took a down off when he was on the field, and he was just—he would just wreck the other team's offensive line. He, I mean, he could just do everything. Yeah, but, he, he was a monster. I, I mean, I, I'm old enough that I remember I was at the blue and white game when Lavar was there as a freshman, and I just remember <clears throat> being up in the stands with my dad and looking through the binoculars, and I saw number eleven, and he looked like a man among boys as an 18-year-old. Uh, I mean, he was just, uh, he was probably the most freak of a nature that I've ever seen in a Penn State uniform. But I think my favorite Penn State player is uh, Michael Robinson because I ha- I have a soft spot because I was a quarterback. And 
I was also a scrambling quarterback. So for a long time, it used to be Rashard Casey, even though he always used to get screwed over by Kevin Thompson. Uh, but then when Michael Robinson and Rob got in there, and I mean, that 2005 year was was also a magical year. I mean, they were literally one screwed play away from, from going undefeated against Michigan, I mean, beating Michigan and, and going undefeated. Um, and so he's probably my my all-time favorite Penn Stater. Uh, Jared, uh, so talking about coaches and, and whatnot, if you could have any football coach, college football coach, as Penn State Tech football coach, who would it be? Ooh, that's a really good question. I've never never thought of that one. I mean, you know, my mind actually just jumped to Nick Saban, but I feel like that's too cheap of an answer to actually. <laughs> um, I think hmm. you know honestly the answer that I would give someone I've really always liked and someone I would you know love for Penn State to have if uh, Franklin ever did leave he's ever you know won you know he hasn't won a national championship yet but I think he will at some point eventually at uh, whatever school he's at Matt Rule um, I think it would be I, I think you know ever since he was at Baylor I liked him obviously he played at Penn State the State College native I think it would just be such a good fit so that was always my if Franklin ever leaves that's the first guy who you know Penn State picks up the phone and calls now he's at Nebraska so I have to root against him but yeah <laughs> it was better when he was uh, you know at Baylor in the NFL when I could root for him but <laughs> yeah even when he was at Temple you could still I mean. All right, we can bring them in. I mean, Temple's right. like, they're not a rival, they're, but they're <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a, that's an interesting take. Uh, um, I would I would have to say um, Luke Fickle. I'm a big Luke Fickle fan, and I think that I I actually have picked uh, and I've written this. I've picked Wisconsin to win the Big Ten this year. Oh. I think they're going to surprise everybody. They have. A, a relatively a, a, not an easy schedule, but it, it shapes up well for them. Um, and then they have their big game against Ohio State, and they play Ohio State the week after Ohio State plays us. So if there was ever a chance to, to catch them, I mean, because I, I suspect that I think Ohio State's going to win, but I think it'll be a good game against us. Um, so they could be a little like depleted or whatever. And Luke Fickle is is a great coach. Uh, when he brought in Phil Longo as his offensive coordinator, he's, uh, I mean, to me, he's one of the great offensive minds of, of today's game. And Tanner Mordecai is my dark horse to win the Heisman. Uh, he's currently sitting at like 150 to one. So, I mean, he's a long shot of the long shots. But if you if you'll remember, Joe Burrow started out the year, he was like 125 to one. In the same so. in the same ballpark for sure. I mean, I think we we touched on the like the Franklin thing because Joey and I definitely differ, and I and and I I definitely like your input and and, and where you stand on that. Another name because I have to bring it up. Like I just like Joey feels some type of way about Matt McGloin, and I'll I'll let, I'll let him <laughs> talk about it a little bit. But I uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the the podcast he was on with Tom Hannafin. I it like went to the wayside now. Um, but it was on YouTube for a while, and like, I guess him and Hannafin had a had a falling out. And now Tom Hannafin just runs. It's called State of State. Um, just not the same. Not the same without Matt McGloin. I'll be honest with you. But uh, yeah, what, how do you what do you sum up uh, Joey as far as Matt McGloin? Like, and then I want to hear what Jared has to say. I, it's funny because like I didn't like McGloin. I. I, I don't know. It's, it's just that, like he always had this this cocky. Like you want your quarterbacks to be confident for sure, um, but he had the, he almost had the exact same cockiness that McSorley had. But McSorley was accomplished. I mean, whereas McGloin, I mean, was a walk on. Uh, I mean, to me, I he in my mind, he should have just been like thankful that he was even on the goddamn squad. But yet he he. But then what, where I really started to like McGloin was when uh, O'Brien got there and he did wonders with him. And I, I'll say this to this day, like I'll stand on this. Um, I think that if O'Brien would have stayed, 
Hackenberg would be the greatest quarterback that Penn State ever had. Because he he's, I mean, I think he's probably the the premiers of offensive minds and quarterback gurus. And you can just look at like when Hackenberg as a freshman had a fantastic freshman season. And then when Franklin came in, it just won't because he's not that's not the system that he's is built to run. And I, I believe that if O'Brien would have stayed there, he would have been able, I mean, he would have gotten everything that he could have out of Hackenberg and Hackenberg now wouldn't be a fucking high school football coach in what Jersey I think it is. Or... <laughs> what? See, uh, I don't know. And, and I'm, I'm weird, Jared. I, 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 like there's some guys that are the most cocky people in the planet. Uh, that play professional sports and I cannot stand them for that reason. And then there are guys that are cocky and I do like it. Maybe it's just a, it's like a personality thing. I always thought I, I liked McGloin cause he wasn't really supposed to be there. You know what I mean? He wasn't supposed to, Yeah, not like, at all. he was, he was like written off. Like he, he kind of threw himself into that situation and like, not to say he was Tom Brady where he's sixth on the depth chart, but he kind of was like, you got to look at it. Like, he walked into a situation where he wasn't exactly welcome into. He's a walk-on, and then he he made the most of it. So, I mean, what do you what do you think about all that that we just we went over? I, I think I mean he definitely had a chip on his shoulder, and you could tell. And I think <laughs> my personal viewpoint, I like when that person's on my team. It's the person you don't like when they're no. I, absolutely. So I, I kind of like that. Dude, I think, you know, Trace kind of had that too. Like, you saw, you know, throughout Trace's career, like, after uh, they, they won that Iowa game and he punted the ball into the stand, just, just things like that. Like, Trace had that that little edge. And um, I, I think that's something that, you know, if McGloin were to ever, you know, become a coach, I think it, it's something that would suit him well in that field. Um, I, I think he... You know, I, a lot, honestly, a lot of those guys, you know, from that, that 2012 team, you know, they, they they do a lot of content together. They they make a lot of appearances together. Um, I, you know, they're still very well connected, you know, with the university. And, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful to them. I think, you know, every fan should be. They're a huge reason, that, you know, why we're, you know, even talking about, you know, 11 and 1, 10 and 2 this season right now. So I think, you know, everyone should be very grateful to them. But, you know, I think they all had a little bit of, of a chip on their shoulder, um, you know, as they, they should have. And I, I think that's part of what made them uh, so special. You know, whenever you watch highlights from that that season, you could just, you could almost just tell, like, they all had that, you know, not cocky per se, but they all had a chip on their shoulder. And they were all out to to prove everyone wrong, and they did. Like yeah, it was they definitely had a uh, us versus the world mentality. Exactly. And, um, and I was uh, talking to Aaron about this the other day. Two of them were actually coaching together um, in South Central Pennsylvania. Jordan Hills, the head coach of uh, Trinity, and uh, Mike Mounty's is his assistant. And that's the school where that uh, the the most recent four star uh, running back came from. That yeah. Messiah kid. Yeah, I saw that. I was I uh I knew Mountie was coaching, I just didn't know where on the Monday. We got that Friday of last week, Thursday, something like that. I was like, oh wow, that's his coach. But I think I mean my I me personally, uh I mean if Mouty came back and coached someday at Penn State, that would be uh, hey. just, I, mean, I don't think it gets better than that. Like uh, I was just gonna bring up his like when when you guys were talking about it, it was us versus the world. Like he embodied that like like no other really. I mean I I remember that so so well and like that speech was amazing. Yeah, that, exactly that. Yeah. It's so we're winding down a little bit, but I I, I definitely speak for Joey. I think and and we we had a fantastic time. I mean. We kind of live. I mean, you you got you guys are plugged in writing articles, but I I still live, breathe, eat Penn State football as well. So like this is to say this is in my wheelhouse. You know, I I is an understatement. I I love this mm-hmm. conversation. And whenever you want to come back, Jared, uh, you know, you're you're more than welcome. And and where can the people find you on the on the socials? Yes, yeah, so you can find me. You know, on Twitter, uh, it's my name at Jared Gold. Um, you could 
uh, head over to the Basic Blues page, uh, basicblues.com. They're pushing out so much good content now, you know, bringing on a lot of new people, um, you know, just, just writing great things. You know, it's, it's been slow in the off season because there's nothing to talk about. But, uh, you know, I'm so happy that there's, you know, things to, you know, write about again. And we have a really good team. Um, I know we're going to be, you know, sending people to the uh, press box for all the home games this year. Um, so super excited about that. Um, so we should have some some great coverage this year. I'm um, seeing so they're also on Twitter um, at Basic Blues um, as well. So definitely follow those before before the season starts. But uh, yeah, it's been great. And uh, hopefully next time I'm on here, we're talking about you know either a big win or a, maybe even a, a trophy. <laughs> Amen. Amen to that, brother. Well, yeah, anytime you want to come on, I'll just shout out our, our usual, you know, podcast friends in the community. Uh, definitely check out the 1420 Sports Podcast, uh, Jim Plotner at Fan in the Van Podcast, Level the Playing Field, Two Dudes with Sports News. I mean, we'll we'll upload on the uh, on the Spotify and Apple Music and the and the array of other uh, podcasting platforms, and we'll we'll shout everybody else out that the likes and retweets and listens and always appreciated uh we're gonna keep trying to push the content as much as we can but uh yeah i'll give it over to joey for for where we can find him and, and any last thoughts on uh tonight's show yeah you can uh, find me at uh, game time sharks and also uh, doc sports i'm a contributor for both uh and i'd also just like to thank jared uh, for coming on uh like I said, I've been a big fan of yours for a long time now and it, uh, it was nice to be able to get to pick your pick your mind in uh in real time yeah, it was great. Thank you so much for having me. I, I loved it. I had a great time. So I really appreciate you having me on. Yep. Well, for uh, for everybody here at Really Honest Sports and, and for Jared at Basic Blues, everybody have a great night, and we'll talk to you soon.